the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Are you looking for truth from God's Word that you can understand and apply to your life? You'll find it today on Make It Clear with Dr. Stan Pons, Bible teacher and president of Florida Bible College in beautiful Orlando. Listen now as Stan makes it clear. The last four words are framed into a question that Jesus wanted Martha to answer that George Washington might have wanted us to answer and all of you that are listening at this special time. We need to answer this. It ends by this. Do you believe this? Huh? Believe what? That Jesus is the resurrection and the life. Even though you're dead, you will live. He who believes in me will never die. Now, that's the great I am. And these are parts of the sevens that he's giving. So we have the seven signs, the seven I am. So we go to the resurrection and the life. He moves into the way, the truth, and the life in John 14, 6. And then the final I am is the true vine. And I love that. That means when he's the true vine, that means that if I abide in him, I will have my life today, my fulfillment of life, my fruit and fulfillment for this life, for his glory, as I abide in him. I'll talk more about that in a moment, but for right now, I wanted you to see this divine. This is so very, 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 very precious. Now, let's look at it again for review. You have the seven signs that point to who Jesus is, that he is large and in charge. He is God, that he commands, and that he can take care of whatever problem that we have. Then the second set of seven I am's, the seven I am's here, that's referring to all things wrapped up around Jesus Christ, more predominantly around him and the relationship that he has with anyone who would believe in Christ, either for salvation or to abide in belief in him for, as a Christian for the rest of their life. So now he moves from who he is to what he is doing for anyone that's out here to the third set of I am's would be the people. Now again, can you identify these people? And I didn't give you the verses, but can you identify who they were? Now you want to pay attention. I'm going to go through this quickly now. Who was the person that said, He must increase, but I must decrease? It was John the Baptist. Then, you must be born again. To whom did he say that? He said it to Nicodemus. Number three, the living water. Who did he present himself as the living water? He presented it to the Samaritan woman. The man who took Jesus at his word. Who finally just said, you said it, Lord, I'm going to do it. All right, that was the official at that time, one of the officials of the area. Number five, do you want to get well? He spoke that to the man who was paralyzed at the well, I mean at the pool. And then the one, he said, I once was blind, but now I see. Who was the person who said that? The man who was blind that Jesus then healed. And then finally, who did he speak the words? Come forth, everyone out loud. Who did he say that to? Lazarus, he said, come forth. Now, when I went over that list... I'm trying to see, is there a message in here somewhere? Is there something I can take away again from the bigger picture, a belief for life? Jesus is God. Jesus is Lord. And by being all of that, he is my Savior. And there's something going on here. So when I see the word signs, that means it points me to Christ, who he is. When I see the I am's, what he's doing for me in all different parts of my life. But when I go to the people here, then I did this. I got realizing 
John, through the inspiration of the Spirit, chose to select seven different kinds of people, which I think that in this list of seven, every single person in the world could be found. Did you hear me? That means you are representing, or these people are representing you and me at this time. So here's a list. Write them down quickly in your margin. It's not up on the screen. And on your way home, see if out of this list you can draw some other unique features to show you that Jesus is the Lord. He is the Savior who wants to reach these kinds of people. I put down here, there's men in here, women in here, there's rich people in here, there's poor people in here, there's noble people in here, there's immoral sinners in here, there's healthy people in this list, there's sick people in this list, there's different ethnicities in this list, there's religious people in this list, there's non-religious people in this list. And I'm out of time and out of breath, but not out of other illustrations. So what I'd like to encourage you to do, have a conversation with your mate and see if you can find other distinguishing characters out of these seven. Now, what, again, does this say to me? I've got to go quickly. Jesus is large and in charge. He wants to make a difference in our life here. He does it in a very special way. And then finally, what kind of people does he want to do it with? People just like you and me. I'm going to tell you, this Savior that we read about is not a historical figure that's found kind of uniquely in the Gospel of John. And he is all of that, but he also is God. It is found uniquely in certain ways in John, but he is the great I am that wants to work in your life today. All right, from John 13 to John 17, just five chapters, he leaves the crowds and he goes into the upper room. So now he moves to the upper room and there are five chapters. Chapter 13, John 13, there's two truths primarily through John 13. You'll remember it begins with Jesus washing the feet of the disciples and there were two truths primarily that he was teaching. One was the act of service and you can put a parenthesis there, it would be the act of humility, humble service to other people and he was trying to teach that great truth. The second was loving others and you see that all throughout John 13, loving others. So serving others and loving others and those two commodities go together. Now let me give you something that might really surprise you. When you study the, the, the entire person, not of Christ now, but of John, the writer of this gospel, when you look at John, John, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, Revelation, all five writings of John, when you do that, you're going to find certain things about John, but I'm going to reduce it to two. Number one, you're going to find 80 times, you're going to find the concept of love is in the writing of John. God loving us, we loving God, we loving others, all the whole concept about love. 80 times that concept of love is mentioned by John. Seventy times the idea is the witness of the truth of Jesus Christ and who he is. And that truth is wrapped up in the servanthood of Christ reaching down to help fallen man come to faith in Christ and go on to become a fully obedient worshiper of God. So what these two truths are, it captured so much of John's whole being that he recorded Jesus doing all of this stuff, demonstrating love and a witness of service here. So that's the teaching in chapter 13. Chapter 14, I think people might refer to chapter 14 because it talks a lot about the great shepherd, the good shepherd, we might say. And so we would refer to that as Psalm 23 of the New Testament. So maybe in your margin of John 14, if you have your Bible out at the top of John 14, you might put Psalm 23. Nearly every memorial service I begin with Psalm 23 because it's such a psalm of encouragement where David, a shepherd boy who grew up to become arguably greatest, Israel's greatest king, he faced death constantly, and yet even though he faced death, the shadow of death, he had this vision of who Christ is, who God is, who his Savior Messiah was, and so he recorded, the Lord is my shepherd, even in the Old Testament. 
And yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow, I'll fear no evil, for you are with me all the time. I am the great I am. So find it all in Psalm 23. Do a study there. See how they kind of come together. The other thing is that John 14 talks a lot about peace, and that's why I put down here. It's the hope for troubled hearts. It's a manual for stress management. So those of you that are filled with anxiety about your job, your health, your finances, your future, uh, maybe there's conflict in your life, I urge you to go to John 14 and just abide in those words alone and let those words give you the peace because Christ is our peace. He preaches peace. He provides peace. And that will be the manual for the stress management in our life. And then finally, in John 14, it talks about the last will and testament. And there's a little phrase in John 14 that really kind of gets me so excited. Jesus says, I will. I will do this. I will. I'm so glad he didn't say, I'll try. I hope so. I'd like to. I might. He said, I will. When I'm reading that, that gives me great confidence that this God, who Jesus is, who's large and in charge, is a person who's going to be active in my life. That's the kind of God I have. I worship. I serve. I enjoy. And too often I let down. But he's that kind of God. John 15, it moves into a whole new concept with three different relationships. When you go through John 15, the three relationships are Jesus, other people, and the world, generally the world, anybody, but more specifically those who are lost. And if there's three commands in this John 15, you're going to find the first one is to abide in Jesus, then it's to love one another, and then it's to go tell the world. Now, I'm rattling through this quite quickly, but if you look at that, it starts out with abiding in the Lord, loving each other, and in a sense, making Christ known to the world. I'm still seeing, again, like a, a code, a secret code, a formula in this. It starts out with, if you're going to be effective and sustainable in telling the world about Christ, you need to abide in Him. And if you're going to love other people, you can't love the irregular nuts in your life that are crazy, that are doing weird things in your life, unless you're abiding in Christ. Because when you abide in Him, then all your needs are met, because He loves you just the way you are. You don't need another person's love. Your tank is filled, so now your tank that is filled with Him can be poured out on other people who are often unlovely or at least not consistently loving to you. And in the course of all of that, the greatest love thing you can do for another person is to tell them about Christ and how they can have eternal life. That's John chapter 15. So read through that to see the three commands and the three relationships. We go right into John 16. Joy comes not through substitution, but through transformation. In other words, I'm not going to get joy in my life by substituting something I don't like with something that I do like, because if I get what I do like, I'll eventually have joy. Um, Carol and I, um, we, we always bought used cars, and most of the cars that we have are cars that someone else was wanting to get rid of. We needed a car. It looked pretty good. And we kind of like, the price was right. The car was kind of like what we wanted. We had enough money. But we were also kind of taking the car that they had that they need to unload because they didn't want it any longer. So we were kind of doing them a favor by buying their car. Now, that's not too altruistic, but that was part of it. When we came to the island, we, we moved here. We only shipped one car here. It was my little Ford, no, no, my, my little Honda that about a year ago it was stolen out of the parking lot, and that's another story. But the other thing is, is we bought a car here. So we bought a CRV. And when Carol and I got that car, I mean, it was like, we're not going to eat in this car. Wipe your feet before you get in this car. Have you ever had a car like that that you kind of treated like that? Would you say, uh-huh? Okay. So we had that car. Right now, the car is like a beach car. You see what I'm saying? Now, why am I telling you that? 
We had the joy when we got the car because we, we got an extra car, which was always, Carol, who has a car today? You pick me up, I pick you up, and all that conflict that goes on. You know what that is. So now we have a new car. Woo! That's all great. Woo! We got a great car. Whoa, look at this car. Real fancy car. Now that's old. And now so, I just can't wait to get one of those new 2015 Ford Mustang convertibles. Now, I'm, I'm joking. But my point is, it's not by this, uh, we might call it, uh, I don't know, substitution. I like to say it's not by changing. Joy comes by exchanging. Exchanging whatever we have here for the fullness of joy that's found in Christ. And that about Christ that blocks his joy to me is when I have sin. And my sin is what clogs the joy tube that comes from him that's inside of me. So if you're struggling with the joy of Jesus right now, you might want to unclog it with some kind of regard and iniquity in your heart and kind of pump out that junk so you can experience exchange. Be transformed by his joy. Chapter 17. Jesus prays about three things. It said high priestly prayer. He prays for himself that he would be glorified. And of course that happened at the cross. All right. He prays for his disciples that they would be protected and sanctified. And sanctified means set apart. I know that, but I think if you read the context more of what sanctified means, it actually means you're set apart for a purpose. There's a reason you're set apart. It's not just, oh, I'm set apart. Woo, look at me. No, I'm set apart now so I can bring glory to the Lord by making choices in my thought, talk, and walk. Okay, So I'm set apart, and he's praying for his disciples that we would be protected from the evil one because he wants to protect the disciples to be strong. And these are the guys who are going to kind of launch throughout the world. Salvation by faith alone and Christ alone in the church. Then he prays for the church would be you and me, that we would be unified. Now, we're not unified because we all agree the same dogma or the same kind of do communion the same way. We're going to be unified when we all believe in Christ the same and we yield to him in our life. And so just as God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit are all one unified, when we are in Christ, we are in the person of Christ in all of that divinity right there. So now we become all of that unified. And so he wants us to come to faith in Christ so we would all be unified and the church would have that joy and it spills out in our life. All right. So the question I have is if that's his prayer for us, does he get his prayers answered? Yes, and how are we a part of getting his prayer answered? John 18 and 19. Almost done here. In the darkness, belief for life. In the darkness of Jesus' arrest, torture, death, and burial. I gave you 19, excuse me, 19 number. Actually, 13 pictures of Christ. I've got to change that on my notes. Jezuko, make that change. All right, thank you. All right, picture one, picture 13, all the way down. Look at this as I go through it. Flogged, taunted. Jesus before Pilate in the crowds. So there's a whole bunch of people there. Jesus before Pilate alone. When Pilate's having his issue with him. Jesus at Gabbatha. What in the world is Gabbatha? That's a judgment seat that Pilate was at. Can you imagine the judge of all the world is sitting at a judgment seat of an unsaved guy over here that's kind of a, a guy that doesn't... He's, he's waffles on all of his leadership. All right. And then Jesus carries his own cross. And then Jesus is crucified on the cross, but not yet dead. And he got the sign that's up there that's now talking about who he is. Jesus is God. Then they cast lots for the limited amount of clothes that he had. They wanted to have it for themselves. Mary is at the foot of the cross, which would be his mother. He drinks a little bit of sour wine at that time because he said he would be thirsty. The Old Testament fulfilled the New Testament prophecy. Then he actually died, but nobody killed him. He willed himself to death. And at the very end, they desecrate his body by stabbing him with a spear. Now, here's my question to you and me. How was your day today? Okay. That's basically a, a day in the life of Jesus, at least a, a day or a day and a half in his whole life. He went through all of that because he loves you and me. So when you see all of these facts, it's not just some religious leader that kind of 
he kind of bought it. He died, and, and this is, oh, I'm glad he resurrected. No, this is for you and me. This is all part of the resurrected life, and it's demonstrating his love to us. I, I get the death and the resurrection, but sometimes we forget about all the pain and all the other stuff he suffered. I want you to focus on that suffering he went through, all of it, mental, emotional, physical, all of that that he went through because that lets you know that no matter what you and I go through in this life, all the suffering we go through, whether it's through people who abandon us, people who reject us, people who lie about us, whether we get physically abused or violated even, even to the point of dying for something we didn't do wrong, I want you to know Jesus went through all of that. So whatever you're going through will never amount to what he chose to do for us and he did not deserve any of it. That's the kind of love that you want to just, you want to surrender yourself as a Christian to. You want to just say, take my, my house, my car, my money, my life, my calendar, my, my whole life, and I want to give it to you, Lord. You've given your life for me. So how did this awe-inspiring series of pictures at the cross fit into my ordinary, often routine life? Well, there's five pictures I've given to you. Victory over sin, picture of his power. In everyday life, yourself as a person of incredible faith, because once you believe in this thing, you're believing in something that the world will just mock at. A picture of change and what is important to you. All of a sudden, this becomes important. This is why you have your life. This is what you make your decisions based on, who Christ is and what he's done. You picture yourself as totally forgiven once and for all and pure in his sight. And then finally, a belief for life in the last two chapters, because Jesus is alive a belief for life. Why? Because Jesus is alive. At his resurrection appearances, before he ascended, to Mary Magdalene, he said, go tell my disciples. To Thomas, he said, touch my hands and my side. To Peter, he said, tend or feed my sheep. Giving them all a last minute instruction, reinforcing their faith, reminding them of their vision and calling in life. So what's the purpose for our lives through the study of this book? If you want to write it down, it's real simple. It's to believe or to trust in Jesus Christ as the Lord God Almighty. It's a belief for this life. It is a belief for life forever in Jesus Christ. My friends, it's all wrapped up in a belief for life. C.S. Lewis is a popular writer and philosopher of many of you, so I'm going to bless you by giving you a quote from C.S. Lewis. He said, you never know how much you believe a thing until the truth or falsehood becomes a matter of life and death. Think about that. You never know how much you believe a thing until the truth or life or falsehood becomes a matter of life or death. And some of you are kind of from the, a little bit of the old school, C.S. from Spurgeon. I like reading him. I wish I could speak and preach like him. In fact, I wish I knew his Savior like, like he does. He said, I would recommend that you believe God up to the hilt. That's the end of the knife or sword. Or else not believe him at all. Be satisfied with nothing less than a faith that swims in the depths of divine revelation. Faith that paddles about in the shallow waters is a poor faith at best. Well, if there were five prayers that we began our series with, that I prayed for all of us in and I end with, I hope that we learn the following lessons. That the life and actions of Jesus Christ will make faith seem more possible. When I look at his life, and I look at what he did, and I look at who he is, it makes trusting him easier. 
Second, each of us will feel like we've sat down to have a personal conversation with the Lord about our life and our faith. I hope that I just didn't give you a running commentary of the Gospel of John, but in some measure, in my own little impotent way, that I could show you that Jesus is alive forevermore. He could only be your friend because He's your Savior, and He could only be your Savior because He's God, and that you would want to spend time daily conversing with Him, and you would know Him personally. Number three, that studying the miracles and works of Jesus will make our faith more powerful. In other words, knowing that he is alive and he's a miracle worker, that means, watch this, I will step out on faith and attempt great things for God because I know that he is real. He's the real deal. I've seen what he's done. So I could step out, whether it's a risk in a business, a risk in a relationship, a risk with my finances to give or something like that to further the work or go into missions or to do something with our life that... That it's a risky faith, but it's a powerful faith because Jesus is who he claimed to be and he proved it over and over and over. How much more proof does he have to give to you? I will tell you. 65 other books of the Bible. They're all in there about Christ revealing himself again through Scripture. And then number four. Looking at the words of Jesus will make our faith more practical because if I look at Jesus, he's not just giving us a doctrinal statement, a statement of faith. He's given us truths and principles and commands for life. So it's a practical study. And finally, focusing on the cross and the resurrection will make our faith more passionate. Going all the way back to what did Jesus experience going to the cross, hanging on the cross, giving his life on the cross, reappearing again afterwards. And then finally ascending up to heaven and through the Spirit of God living inside each of us. How more passionate can we become? What more does he have to do to make us more passionate? With every head bowed and every eye closed, let's take a few moments and look through this. Thank you for giving me this little bit of extra time since we had so much at the beginning of our service. But that's the gospel of John in a nutshell. Now my friend, the Spirit of God, I believe, was speaking to all of us today. Those of you who know Christ, do you know Him as Lord, God, and Savior? I get the fact that Jesus is Savior and Lord because uh, you trust Him as Savior and you're surrendering to Him as Lord to live the rest of your life. I, I get that. On the other side, we also trust Him as Lord and Savior because He is the Lord God. That's why he can be our savior. So we have to understand that he is God, that he died and he rose again, that he is who he claimed to be, but now he's our savior because of that. And now since he's done that for us, what will we do in return? And Jesus so aptly speaks out to us when he says, truly, truly, I say unto you, he that believes on me has everlasting life. You have a belief for life. Is there anyone in here that is ready to kind of give it up for the Lord. In other words, whatever doubts you might have had, you might bring some of those doubts with you, but enough of those doubts are arrested to the point that you have enough confidence to say, I believe Jesus is God, and I believe as God He's my Savior, that He died and paid my sin debt and rose again from the dead, and I am hanging on to Him. And the moment you place your faith in Christ, it flips, and He hangs on to you, and you are in His hand, and He will never cast you out. 
Is there anyone in here that would be willing to, in your own heart of hearts, to say, I'm trusting Christ? Now, raising your hand won't get you to heaven. Walking an aisle won't get you to heaven. I'd like to pray for you, but even me praying for you won't get you to heaven. But if you're trusting Christ, I'd like to pray for you. So is there anyone in here that would like to say, this book was written with me in mind, and I am now trusting Christ as my forever Savior? Not by my works, but by my faith in Christ. I now have eternal life. Would you slip up your hand? Is there anyone in here that's calling upon the Lord, so to speak, to be your Savior today? All right, Christians, how about you? Those last five little bullet points. Is your faith more possible? Your conversation with Him more personal? Is your faith more powerful? Is your faith practical? And is your faith now more passionate? What are you going to step out on these promises and do differently tomorrow? What will you exchange? How will you be transformed? Our gracious Heavenly Father, I thank you for how you have chosen to reveal yourself to us using your great servant and disciple, John. I thank you that, Father, that it has been recorded in Scripture and preserved without error for us today. And that, Father, that you've allowed us to go on this study for these two and a half years. And Father, for anything that might have just whet our appetite to know what's in this one book of the Bible alone. So help us, Father, now to strengthen our faith and have a belief for life now and forever. Father, again, we worship you. We adore you. We serve you. We honor you. And we want to bring glory to Jesus Christ, who is Lord, as our belief for life. In your name we pray. You're listening to Make It Clear with the teaching of Dr. Stan Pons, founder of Make It Clear Ministries and president of Florida Bible College in beautiful Orlando, Florida. Make It Clear is dedicated to taking the Word of God with clarity into every person's world. It is the support of listeners like you who make the ministry of Make It Clear possible. You can provide your tax-deductible gift to Make It Clear online by going to makeitclear.org. Or you can mail your gift to Make It Clear, P.O. Box 607-901, Orlando, Florida, 32860. Thank you for helping us make it clear. If you would like to have Dr. Pond speak at your church or event, please send us an email at tellmemore at makeitclear.org. Thank you, and remember to make it clear. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.